If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And today on the show, I had the pleasure of chatting with Ravi Patel, Ravi is a actor slash model slash producer slash entrepreneur. All these things are true except the model part. After graduating from UNC Chapel Hill in the late 90s, Ravi was an investment banker before a chance opportunity to host a stand-up show in Los Angeles left him fielding calls from agents and managers. He went on to act in over 70 national commercials and land roles in films and television, most notably Scrubs, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Master of None before co-writing, directing, and starring in Meet the Patels alongside his sister, Getha. In 2013, he helped co-found This Bar Saves Lives, a snack company whose mission is to end childhood malnutrition worldwide with fellow actors Kristen Bell, Todd Grinnell, and Ryan Delvin. And most recently, his four-part original series, The Pursuit of Happiness, premiered on HBO Max. Robbie joins us to talk about how his penchant for mischief has helped him succeed, why he had to travel all around the world to rediscover the values that Americans hold dear, and how creating safe spaces can help overcome our most deep-seated differences. So please enjoy my conversation with Robbie Patel. Robbie, thank you for being on the podcast. Good to chat with you, buddy. What a time to be alive. <laughs> yep. I believe the first time I, we came across one another was, was maybe around a decade ago when you started uh, This Bar Saves Lives. Yeah, I think our buddy Sandeep Ahuja first connected us, is my guest. Way back. Another actor slash model slash VC slash founder. Uh, he is good looking. Um, and also just an incredible connector. Wow, it's it's probably been like nine or ten years ago now when I lived in Venice. Well, and the reason I mentioned that is just like you have such an interesting background. You know, I, I I've you know been enjoying you in films for a very long time. Um, you know, from from Meet the Patels, which you made, of course, and 
master of none to the stuff that you've been doing recently, like come as you are and long shot. Um, and of course your new show, uh, pursuit of happiness on HBO, what always fascinated me is like you had a poker magazine and you founded this bar saves lives. And I'm sure you had a bunch of other careers that I don't know about, but like, you know, this is, you know, the art of the hustle. Tell us, give us, give us some background. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably much like all your listeners and a lot of the people that you bring together at summit, which is just a real passion for ideas and finding new ways to connect. One of the most calming pieces of wisdom I ever read was that uh, was about the entrepreneur mindset and our personality is such that we have to have ideas. And that's just a part of our day. And I used to actually carry shame about needing to wake up in the middle of the night with I, I have a, I've always slept with a notepad next to me since I was a little kid because I'd have all these ideas and I'd have to write them down. Whether it was like some weird idea for a company or a weird idea for a joke, uh, it just anything at all, I needed to write it down. And I realize now in adulthood that that's part of who I am and people like us just need an outlet to have those ideas even if we don't act on them. But what happens eventually is some of those ideas you keep thinking about, you keep in thinking about, and you eventually act on them. You know, my career, I, I've never had a particularly mindful approach to my career. Increasingly so now in adulthood, now that I'm a father and I have to be really intentional and thoughtful about how I spend my time. But, you know, like most people, I grew up, you know, as kids, we're completely in flow state of just doing whatever the hell we want and and do, we're doing it whenever we want. I grew up just wanting to have fun. That's all I cared about. I wasn't a good student. I didn't care for school. It wasn't something that was tangible to me. You know, like, like any Indian, I could study the night before and get like a B plus. I was basically like a Ferris Bueller in high school. So I, I cheated on everything. I had a copy of every exam. I look back on that now and I realized that was my training. Like I had such a passion for figuring out creative approaches to problems. The problem then being getting by without having to do the work. You know, I had a copy of every exam. I was, I like really reveled in figuring out fun scams where I would get everyone involved. And I had early dismissal passes in the back of my car. And our school was like this giant public school that was gated. And I was friends with all the security guards and they were on the take anytime I wanted to come and go. And I parked wherever I wanted to, you know, it, it was such a fun time. And it, it's, it's interesting because if I had to reflect on it at that time, I would have thought that I was just delaying growing up. But now I look at that as, you know, really my training for what I do now, except I use it for more kind of positive purposes, I guess. And so I was just kind of going with the motions. I went to Chapel Hill, I grew up in Charlotte, then went to Chapel Hill just because all my friends went there. I hadn't thought one second about what I want to do with my life or who I am or what I need. Then staying with the motions, you know, I, I just partied through college and played basketball. That's pretty much it. And then I cheated my way into an, a, ba- a banking job, like literally changed my transcript to get that job. What are you talking? Wait, you are you serious? Yeah, yeah. How would, how did you, what do you mean? How did you do that? I don't entirely remember how I did it, but it was like literally my GPA that I was being interviewed with was not the one I actually had. 
And Come I on, don't really- pre- are you trying to protect some co-conspirator or like you truly don't remember how you changed? Your I vaguely TV? remember. I vaguely remember like printing out transcript and like changing things on it. I don't remember exactly how I did it. Okay, but, so old school, very old school. Mom yeah, yeah. I finished college in '97, so this was when you could okay. do this kind of thing. And uh, I was look, I was smart enough where I was able to still do really well. Like I was interviewing for trading jobs and they'd have you do all those kind of combinatorics using case studies. I was able to do all that kind of stuff. Like they were probably like this kid definitely faked his GPA, but we like him. (laughs) I don't think they knew, but I, you know, I'll tell you what, my first investment banking job, uh, you know, the proof was in the pudding. I, I was not built to do that. I was a horrible employee. I spent all my vacation days in the first like two months because the bears were really good for the first time in like a decade. So I was like flying around to go watch them play. I'd never made that kind of money before. And then nine, not long after nine 11 found out that our group was bought and dissolved and I got a severance and I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my God, I was either going to get fired or leave anyway. And now I get free money. A few weeks later, I I got a one-way ticket to Chicago because they had made the playoffs. They lost the day after I got there, and I lost all my severance on a riverboat that night. Are you serious? How much was the severance that you lost on the riverboat? I don't remember. I'm sure it was. But you said you sounded like a real loose cannon. <laughs> I, st- I still am. Like, it's adorable and like an awesome friend to have. I'd be like, you know who's <laughs> fucking amazing is Ruby. He's so much fun. I love kicking it with the guy. But uh, you definitely sound like you had a really high tolerance for risk. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm obsessed with risk. I mean, I still am. I'm I'm an adrenaline junkie. It's one of the things that I probably deal with most in therapy. Like, you know, trying to figure out ways. Look, I recently, two months ago, got diagnosed with ADHD, and I'm like, okay, that's like the least surprising thing in the history of medicine. Welcome to the club, bro. You have it too. Yeah. In fact, I'm on the drugs right now. That I'm on this thing called cholesterol, which I'm thinking about getting off of because it actually makes me really hyper and kind of anxious. And I don't think it's improving my focus or anything at all. Well, there's some, there's some interesting theories on what ADHD truly is and like certain jobs that, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of like, like air force pilots, for instance, it's, there's this ability to hyper-focus that, you know, comes with ADHD and I'm obviously ADHD for those that spend time with me, but you know, I have like a quasi photographic memory for the things that I find interesting. Mm. So like, you know, the, the, if it's something that I can't like deal with, my wife thinks it's hysterical because it's literally like Charlie Brown listening to the adults. Like I am retaining nothing and I'm very uncomfortable and I don't have great poker face for it. But if it's like something that I find and that, and it's almost like category in specific to a problem point now because of summit, where I'll like go and be like, oh, I learned about, you know, this completely random thing. It has no bearing on any of the other stuff I'm working on for the last like 25 minutes and forgot time existed. Well, I actually, I've, I, I've, I've read everything that you just said and, you know, it's not just that, but it's also creativity. I mean, I would imagine that the vast majority of entrepreneurs have some version of ADHD and it's actually, you know, our strength. For me, I think the older I've gotten, the more I've become wise to my own limitations. And that's a strength of mine because I'm able to make sure that I partner with people who can, first of all, people who are type A, people who are super organized and, 
know how to be focused on tasks and stuff. And that way I'm able to actually do the thing that I'm good at. And that's actually the reason why I guess ADHD is one of the most underdiagnosed disabilities amongst adults, because the older we get, the more that we learn to operate with our operating system. I just, I'm not certain I would call it a a disability. You know, I think that it's a learning difference, certainly. And to your point, you know, like guys like us are open and, you know, people like us are more dependent on partners, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it seems like filmmaking and entrepreneurship and the way that you've done it and I've done it certainly suits us. We definitely have friends who like, you know, are the CEO and founder and they own the whole company and they sign every check and like Mm -hmm. typically not you know, the person with ADHD in the business. Um, but you know, the truth is, is that some of like the most visionary founders certainly have like, you know, those types of learning differences. Where are you at with your journey with the disorder? Uh, where, when did you find out you had it? Like, are you, is this something you struggle with now? No, 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 no. I've, I've accepted it as just like part of my standard operating, you know, system. I just think that, you know, normal is homeostasis is not a real thing in my opinion. Like there's no such thing as like just balance. Like we all have strengths, weaknesses, differences. You know, I've been able to build around my personality, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, as of you, I mean, the reason I, the reason I, you know, my question around this for you is like, you did something that's very, very rare for anybody. You broke out. You clearly like weren't taking all this stuff as seriously as the rest of us were, mm-hmm. you know, coming out of school, taking, getting these jobs. And then you, then you were like, I'm going to do something you know, especially crazy, try to be an actor, you know, like, how did you, how did you make that jump? How did you make that transition? You know, most of my uh, kind of big moments in my career have been not surprisingly spontaneous um, and unintended. I was in LA after that, you know, I was, I took a year of just screwing around doing fun things after the investment banking thing. And I was in LA and my sister was here pursuing entertainment. While I was staying with her, I got asked to fill in. She was producing this big arts festival here in LA. And every night there was an event that, you know, had musicians and comedians and various performers. The MC for it, this guy, Asif Manvi, who used used to be on The Daily Show, he had to leave at the last second to go do some movie. They needed someone to fill in. And uh, my sister was like, you know, you can you, you should do this. And I was like, okay, great. And I did it. I did like 30, 40 minutes of improvised standup throughout the course of this evening. It, to this day, it's probably one of the, you know, better things I've ever done. It, I, I ended up being kind of the, the big hit of the whole show. And I got like 15 calls in the next week. And I don't know, like two or three months later, I was a, I was a full-time actor. You know, one thing that I've always been comfortable with is uh, being myself. Like I, I'm not, wow. I'm not particularly um, shy about you know being myself in front of a large group of people or even on camera for that matter. And so being uninhibited in that way, I think, really helped me at the top of my career because I think most of the training that people do for acting is trying to figure out a way to be uninhibited, to be yourself, to not let desperation seep in. Now that said, you know, like my whole first year as an actor, I probably booked 20 or 30 things and I didn't even have a headshot. And so I didn't care. And as a result of not caring, I was having so much fun that it, I think, you know, people can sense that confidence and it affected, you know, positively impacted my performance. But then a couple years in, and I kept, I had been deferring going to law school at the time, 
when I really figured out, oh, this is like a career now, I need to get better at this. I need to figure out a work ethic around it. It was a hard transition because once it started mattering, all that natural, like the desperation, the need to get better at it, the self-awareness, um, I, I took a small step backwards. And then, you know, my work from then on has been about getting back to that place I originally started while also knowing how to move forward. And then even more, as I got older, um, and Meet the Patels was a big point of inference for this, I realized that I was only like, I wasn't motivated just by acting and being successful. So I had to figure out a way for that whole thing to actually be substantive to me. And that was really hard. Like I quit acting twice despite becoming increasingly successful because it felt so vapid to me. Well, you, it sounds like you truly were Ferris Bueller, you know? And like, (laughs) I can imagine like that archetype or you as a kid, like going through what you just described, you know, I think that there's a parallel in, you know, the, the, my, and my experience as an entrepreneur where like, I, and, and I would, dear friend who's a, who's an artist, who's a contemporary artist. And he put it really beautifully. He's like, look, you know, the tools that you have as like a, as you at your best, you know, and the flow that you're in, you, you're signing, you're going to build, you know, stone houses, you know, like you can do it. And it's like, it's artisanal and you're in the flow. But the reality is, is that like, they're not skyscrapers or like, you know, cities, like you just can't do things at scale in the same, like what got you here won't get you there in a sense. There's a great expression that I love. It's, it's that your 20s are about becoming the person you want to be and your 30s are about becoming the person you are. And I think, you know, especially when you have an ADD mind, you, you can't help but kind of be yourself. You're not, we're, we're not as good at lying. Like you said, you can't, you don't have a poker face. And I think people like us are just so driven by whatever the thing is that we really want to do. And so we were going to confront our real wants at some point or another. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do 
is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of you know stuff that's happening right now, I recently saw your new show, Pursuit of Happiness, and I really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you watching it. Will you tell the listeners a little more about the show? Yeah. So. Pursuit of Happiness is on HBO Max, and uh, we have four episodes in this first season. Uh, The premise of the show is every episode I travel with someone I love and admire, and we have some big question about life that we share. And that's what takes us to some international destination. And so it's kind of a, a buddy comedy, I would say. We're basically comparing the way other cultures do things versus the way that we in America do things as a way of answering big questions about ourselves that we kind of urgently want to answer. So we have an episode in Mexico um, in one of the hottest retirement destination for expats. And I went there with my parents to talk about retirement and aging and really, you know, how can my parents and I make the best of the time that we have left together. And that question was really urgent to me because, you know, having like yourself, I'm, you know, a young father and that has given me such incredible empathy for my parents and, you know, realizing that the way that I obsess over my daughter is how my parents have probably obsessed over me their entire lives. And I, I kind of want to reward that. And I want to ask the questions today that I might otherwise be asking in retrospect in therapy. So that's where that episode came out of. And then I did another episode in Japan with my wife, Mihaly, and that was about parenting in a place that's known for being the most innovative in pretty much everything. Um, and obviously, there's nothing more urgent than me trying to figure out the most important startup in my life, which is my family. Yeah, totally. And ultimately, as you know, parenting, you think it's about the kid, but what it ends up really being about is the marriage. And so that that's what that episode is about. It was a beautiful journey. Well, the episode that I the episode that I watched was your third episode where you went to South Korea with our mutual dear friend Matt, who we actually also had on the podcast um, recently. You went and learned about work life balance. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think Matt and I's story is probably something that anyone who's listening to this will really uh, relate to, which is, you know, we're, you know, pretty much everyone I know these days is, is overscheduled, overwhelmed, 
And as a result, under satisfied, you know, we optimize every minute of our day, whether it's work or play. And then in order to de-stress, we're scheduling even more things, whether it's yoga or uh, meditation or uh, TED Talks or going to Summit Series, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all these things cost more money, which in turn makes you want to work more. It's about this kind of obsession that our generation has with achievement and how you reconcile that with the thing that becomes increasingly apparent the older you get, which is the most important thing in your life is the day you have today. And all those other things tend to be forward looking. And so you're so focused on climbing up the mountain that you spend your whole life climbing up the mountain, but you realize there's no actual top to that mountain. All you have is that climb, the journey. So you have to figure out a way to enjoy that every day. So that's what that episode is about. You know, one of my favorite scenes in the whole series is when we visit that um, what's called a death cafe in which we simulate, you know, we literally laid in coffins for 10 minutes and wrote our own eulogies. I mean, I, I don't know that there's a better way to figure out what's important in life than to go through an exercise like that. And tell us more. Like what are some of the other wild things that you learned from this new show? Yeah. So let's see, we went through three of the episodes and the fourth one was in Denmark. And that was a question that was more urgently about being American you know, Denmark is generally known as being one of the happiest places in the world, um, but that's really only the case if you're only the case if you're white. It turns out mm. for immigrants and refugees, um, it's not so great. And realize that story was emblematic of you know an issue that's happening worldwide, but most prominently here in the U.S. We shot that before, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter and the movement that we're going through right now, the last sure. you know, five six months, but. You know, I'm not sure that there's a more urgent issue in this country right now than our inability to reconcile, you know, specifically racial differences, but intersectionality in general, just, I mean, people are just so fucking dumb when it comes to all that stuff. And the way that we have conversations about it is, you know, d divisive rather than, you know, approaching them in a way that's familial. I think like, the reason we're going through all these, you know, issues in this country right now are, is because we don't feel like one, we don't feel like we're part of the same family. Rather, we feel like, you know, enemies with each other. And all of that, I think, is well, all what we're experiencing right now is that big fight that hopefully ultimately results in, you know, everyone getting closer. And, you know, being racially different from the South, right? From what's, you know, considered normal. Like you grew up in North Carolina, you know, mm -hmm. Indian American. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, Jewish. Um, you know, I think that there's a level of like, first it's like, you know, otherism that you experience to a certain degree, but then, then, you know, as an adult, I find a lot of empathy. I try to find like with people that I disagree with and don't share my politics, like where are the areas in which we, you know, do want to see a similar future and how do we, move, how do we just move the chains? You know, like how do we like inch by inch, you know, arc towards progress. And uh, I'm curious, you know, I imagine that, you know, to be as good as you are, you know, as an actor, you must have a lot of empathy um, and sympathy for, for people's perspectives and experiences. And so what, what you, you talk about, you know, us being on the same team again, how do you think we cross that bridge? I don't think it comes from, I don't think any, my empathy comes from being an actor I would say rather it comes from having grown up in North Carolina alongside a ton of Republicans in a 
culture that is rooted in many ways in the major tenets of conservatism. Southern culture, Southern tradition, you know, it's, it's all about tradition. It's all about, you know, loving the past and, and kind of keeping it going. Family is the number one priority in the South. These are actually some of the most loving, loyal people that you will ever meet. And if you know that, then, and you're friends with these people, then the conversation you have with them is more familial and with love as opposed to antagonistic. Because I don't think that those people are bad people. I think they, I disagree with the values that they're prioritizing. And for them, they prioritize loyalty. Their number one thing is loyalty at all costs, which is obviously what we're seeing even with Donald Trump, right? Like there's literally nothing he can say or do that will get many Republicans to not vote for him. Like there's nothing more important than just supporting your guy. If you even look at like, I don't know if you follow college football, like SEC fans are the biggest psychos because it's all about rooting for your tribe. And so if you know that, then it's not a matter of, hey, you're bad people. It's, hey, you're prioritizing the wrong things. Let's talk about it. But underneath all of that, we can't, we can't doubt that the love is there because that's actually their number one thing. It's like, you know, when you get in a fight with your wife, you know, there's that first part of it where you're just trying really hard to get the other person to, to understand your point of view. And in the process, everyone gets offended you say the wrong things, you get busy trying to win. And all of that part of the conversation, it's like you needed to do it because everyone had to get their thoughts out. But the real conversation happens when you decide to let your guard down, say you're sorry, even if you don't mean it, start listening, try to inhabit the other person's point of view. And next thing you know, surprisingly, you actually finish it in a loving way. (laughs) Pretty much all of my fights with my wife have gone in that... (laughs) progression. And I think, you know, uh, being from North Carolina has, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of allowed me to know that, you know, these aren't bad people. We just, we're just disagreeing on, you know, how to approach something. Yeah. You're totally, I, I, fucking hard though, dude. It's fucking hard. It's hard not to get really, really angry. Anytime someone dies from a gunshot, certainly anytime, you know, a, a, a cop, you know, beats an African-American. I mean, these are all things where you're like, okay, your support is making all these things happen and it's hard not to get angry. But then you have to remember that getting angry at people only makes them defensive. It doesn't make them listen or likely to cooperate with you in any way. No, I mean, you just broke down like the central tenets of the work like Beyond Conflict, one of the leading, you know, conflict resolution organizations teaches and works on. Like you're actually quite a natural, Ravi, like that, what you just described, I mean, yeah, you nailed it. This is like, if you attack someone, they defend. The greatest vector or lever for helping someone, you know, change their perspective, actually creating cognitive dissonance is not presenting them with a better case. It's actually introspectively realizing your own hypocrisies. Mm. Um, And so when we present people with a safe opportunity to reflect and ourselves like when we're presented with those opportunities or when we don't take people too literally in their attack of the specific thing or support of the specific thing that they themselves or their team, you know, has on a zero one checkmark against. It's like, mm. I, I'm certain that 
I'm not left enough for certain listeners and I'm certain I'm not right enough for certain listeners. And, you know, I, I think that that's always going to be the case um, for all of us. And just like, I, I love this idea that compromise is the, you know, pinnacle of human capacity. And today it's a dirty word, right? We're like, oh, I don't compromise. I'm a bad motherfucker. Like that, that whole thing. It's like, that's actually, you know, compromise is incredible. It means that we live together in a society and we see things differently. And we came up with a solution that was shitty enough for both of us, but also good enough for both of us where we could set it and forget it and move forward, right? Even if the goal is not compromise, it can be, it can, it can even start off as manipulation. <laughs> but the unintended side effect of pretending to give a fuck uh, uh, can be actual progress. I mean, one of my favorite things that I learned in therapy was principles, you know, especially we as Americans are very principled people. We believe in standing up for our principles, but principles are only good insofar as they advance your own self-interest. And often we will act on our principles against our own self-interest. I'll use the analogy with the wife because everyone knows what it's like to get in a fight with their loved one. When I now feel you know, the hint of an argument about to come up with my wife, what I try to do now is I tell myself, create a safe space, create a safe space, be on her side, be on her side. And nine times out of 10, in order for me to do that, I have to essentially lie and pretend that I'm, that I believe what she's saying, that I think what she's saying makes sense or that it's right. I'm lying to myself because my principles inside are saying, no, fuck that. Or you should be offended or whatever. That's, that's not right. But what happens is in creating that safe space, in pretending to empathize, I'm almost always surprised that I get to that point at the end of every fight, which is the part where you actually empathize. You actually start to see things from that person's point of view. You start to care more about their feelings than you do about your principles. And in turn, you reveal some of the mistakes you made on your own. Ultimately, all that you really want when you get in a fight with your wife is to fix it. Like that's it. And it starts with creating a safe space and, you know, trying to fight for what they are thinking, what they're feeling. Well, it's almost as though like we have our own teams inside of the team. You know, when you think about it in, a, in an American context or a political context, it's like, you know, we need team America to be thriving. And in order for that to happen, we need all of our independent communities to be thriving and it's hard to care about others when your house is on fire. Yeah, that's the concept of intersectionality. The idea that we all are, you know, we're all part of the same team, the same teams within other teams. Whenever there's these conflicts between communities, it is often an inability to focus on the things that unite us rather than the ones that divide us. And really, the only way you can get through the divide is through being united. I just wish that like making things that are good for us sound bad enough for us to want them. Like it, it doesn't work the same way as it does bad things sounding good. Like blue skies act sounds like it's not that it's like that. Yeah. I want blue skies. But in reality, if you look at like the blue skies act or like, you know, instead of calling it global warming, calling it climate change, to, like make people less afraid of the outcome. Right. Like these are insidious language shifts that took place to, you know, sort of create more permission for, you know, those that had incentives to sort of shift the world in the direction that they want it. It's, it's very difficult to make broccoli look like chocolate. It doesn't seem to work in the other way. 
Well, I think I think it's very frustrating for Americans to go through the moment that we're having in this country because it feels like it's 2020 and we shouldn't have to put up with this shit. But what it, what, what that frustration does is it blinds us to the point in history that we are and the 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 age of our country. We're young as a country and we're actually in the nascent stages of its evolution and we are, you know, one of the if not the most diverse countries in the world. So nobody has had to deal with this level of change and affording this level of fairness to so many different groups of people. And just looking at it from the perspective of kind of a generational inertia, you know, the white Christian man has been in charge for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so it's not easy to give up regardless of whether you consciously agree that you'd like the world to change positively. Anna, if you believe in this idea that your psychology is inherited genetically, you know, that you inherit the experiences of the people before you, I don't think it's so easy for people to change their ways right away. I mean, it, you, and, and for some people, they literally are openly saying, hey, I don't want to give up what I have here. And for other people, they want to give up what they have, but they don't know the right way to go about having that conversation. This was going to be messy. I, I can't see yeah. a way that it wouldn't. I'm just glad that it's happening. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. 
The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made this show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Shifting to a more positive note, okay. <laughs> where are you going to take me when you do the next season of Pursuit of Happiness? Where great, are we going? great question. What we should do, I want to do, if I get a season two, I want it to be about pivots in life mm-hmm. and as society. The premise being that I think we're in this moment of our country that is going to hopefully end up being our Arab Spring, and yeah. so a big piece of that for me, like we're 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 hoping to move to the East Coast at the end of this year, specifically to find a simpler life, to seek kind of better communities, a, a better like neighborhood itself to live in, with like call it normal people, people who who's most interesting about them isn't their job, so. I think there's probably, I know you were asking jokingly, but there probably is a story to be told about community because I think that is what you guys have built. And, and, and I think, you know, on a fundamental level, our happiness in life is derived from the extent to which we've improved the lives around us. And I don't know that there's any community that's more devoted to that idea than the one that you've built. So maybe there's something there or we just go party on a yacht. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, like I, you know, my whole thing is like a large extended family is the greatest luxury in life. And, you know, the community aspect, like we just all do the things that make us happy. You know what I mean? And like, for me, it makes me really happy to do for people that I enjoy the company of or learn from or inspired by, because guess what? When I do that, I typically get to spend more time around them, which makes me more happy. So that same sort of like workaholic cycle that you described that like, you know, you and Matt were experiencing and really exploring in South Korea, you know, I think that the same can be said for being like a communitarian, right? Like once you see a triangulation of goodwill come back to you because you've like, you know, helped out a group or a person or uh, an institution that you care about, you know, like it pays for itself. This is not like some woo-woo you know, like hippie shit. This is like our life experience that led us to like, you know, everything that we've been able to achieve and do and experience on stuff. So, you know, I, I love that you're, you know, using your platform to ask these bigger questions. I'm sure, you know, you could have been a game show host and instead you're like, you know, taking us around Which I'll the world. still do. There's great money in that shit. I will 100%. Right. By the way, dude, uh, one, one thing that I, I will always hold you to, we talked about this before, I do legit want to build my own neighborhood. That's part of the reason why I'm moving to the East Coast as a research trip to do the bigger picture, which is I want to create the perfect neighborhood. I want it to be curated. Um, I want there to be kind of an artist and entrepreneurial element to it, but I want it to be more broadly around, um, you know, just a, a, the perfect neighborhood to raise a family. And I'm going to want your help in doing that. Well, you know, you have it. And uh, there's a lot of great, great people that, you know, it's been amazing getting into that space. Like, you know, we, we were, you know, event, event entrepreneurs and eight years ago uh, with Powder Mountain got into the community development and design space and sort of like trial by fire had to like learn a lot fast. Um, and, you know, the truth is, is that, you know, just like, 
I don't know. I think of it like sports. Like, you know, you see somebody who's like an all-star for three or four years, you make the mistake of thinking that they're like a superstar. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it in the context of players that are on their like 18th season or they're like 11 years in the game and they're still crushing it, there's just another level of understanding and of like the game slows down. You know what I mean? So we've, uh, you know, I think that you need that entrepreneurial fire. You need that like, you know, person that wants to see this thing come into reality. And what's funny is nobody will design it for you. You can't just be like, okay, here are my principles and values. Design me a community. It doesn't work that way. Like you really do have to be involved in the creative process. But um, ultimately when it comes to actually like putting roads and infrastructure in the ground, there's all these people who've been doing this for 30, 40 years. They're just like fantastic at it. And uh, the truth is, is it's like death by a thousand cuts, you know, like you overspend on like, you know, 8,000 different light items over only like say five, seven, eight percent, you know, above what somebody more thoughtful would have. But, you know, it happens over the course of years and you're like, oh, my God, with that same amount of money, we could have built like a brand new lodge or like added another lift or like done some amazing community venue for for kids or like, you know, so ultimately like, uh, yeah, just like anything in life, like you want to combine, it sounds like our ADHD philosophy manifest is, uh, you know, surround ourselves with people smarter than us so we can actually achieve the thing that we're trying to get. <laughs> well, I would say is the older I get, I, 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 I don't, I, I no longer surround myself with people who are smarter than me. I sur- and well, I guess I redefine what smart is. And the older I get, smarter people are not necessarily people starting amazing companies or creating I- incredible shows. To me, the most intelligent, the, the highest form of intelligence is emotional. And the people that I try to surround myself are the ones who are the most loyal, the kindest. And, and that, that's been a conscious pivot that I've made in my relationships over the last, you know, five years. And, you know, you realize the older you get, like, those are the people you want. Busy people are exhausting. Well, on that end, thank you. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. You're totally an inspiration. Oh, back at you, bro. You and your vibe and uh, pursuit of happiness, HBO. Watch that. You'll enjoy it. Thanks for letting me get the word out here, buddy. Good chat. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 